Broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. All right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to uh, the V Brown Bag. Um, this week, we've got a special guest with us. He's also one of our hosts, and he's going to be talking about one of uh, his projects that he's worked on, uh, V Documentation. Uh, but before we begin, we're going to take a couple of look at some quick notes here. Um, you can find us on Twitter at all of the uh, accounts listed there. Uh, contact us through the hashtag VBrownBag as well. Um, you can check out the schedule of all of the other uh, episodes that we do throughout the week in the various uh, time zones and various locations of, uh, for around the world. Um, another little bit of housekeeping as well. Uh, look, we've got coming up pretty quick here, we've got the uh, end of year giveaway. Um, so look for the, uh, the sign-up form for that, and then the last episode of the year, we'll actually do the drawings uh, for the prizes. And this year, we've got uh, two Intel Nooks. Uh, we've got some awesome uh, sponsors lined up uh, that have given us two Intel Nooks to uh, raffle off or give away. Uh, we've got a drone and a bunch of other, uh, bunch of other good stuff. So uh, keep an eye out for that. That'll be coming up pretty quick here. Uh, and uh, without further ado, Ariel, I will hand the... Uh, Make you presenter and hand the mic off to you. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Let's try that. You should be seeing a black screen with white letters only. That's exactly what I see. Awesome. So we had uh, an opening today and at Explore VM was really, really nice in accepting to host me. This is a presentation that I've given at certain VMUGs, and it involves an open source project uh, that Edgar Sanchez and myself started. So it's an update, and uh, you have the information right there in the YouTube video. Please reach out if you have any questions. That is my Twitter handle. Uh, let's get started. So you will be able to find this presentation in my blog, or just tweet at me, and I can send you the presentation. And this is normally something I would tell people at the VMUG, but why not? You, you can go ahead and take a selfie or a, sh or a picture right from the comfort of your own home and tweet it out. I really like interacting with people in Twitter. That I really think that the moment that people join Twitter and, and get into the V community, they really find out how awesome it can be. So I want to see some tweets later on. Hashtag VBrownBank, hashtag VDocumentation. All right, so here's our agenda for today. Uh, we're going to learn about V documentation. We're going to see the highlights of the VMworld 2017 presentation, which was when we actually rolled this out. Uh, what has happened since? Uh, we're going to do some live demos with my actual home lab equipment. So this should be a little more fun than typical, because normally I would have to do it with a, like a nested host that really didn't, didn't give us a lot of hardware details. So we might get some more today. And uh, some QA and fun, of course. This was the presentation in VMworld 2017. That was the first and only time that I presented at VMworld, and it was pretty cool. But you know, the, the topic was Achieve Maximum vSphere Stability with PowerCLI Assisted Documentation, and from Builder to the Administration. Well, let me put a phone in mute over here. Now, Edgar and I are not related, even if we have the same last name. <laughs> and uh, you can find Edgar is really the brains of the operation. He's the one that did most, I would say, 99% of the coding. The only thing that happened was 
I was the one that told Edgar, hey, I'm doing this manually. Can we get, uh, if you want to learn about VMware, want to learn about PowerCLI, if you can do this programmatically, uh, it will be really, really sweet. And he ended up doing it. So, you know, he's an awesome guy. Uh, he works for Converges. Anybody that would snatch him up, he's probably the best guy I know in the world. So let's get into it. So admins who are very satisfied with their vSphere documentation are a very low percentage out there. And worse, most new hires get this reaction when somebody asks where the documentation is. You know, they just look at them and they start laughing. <laughs> so that's, that's not a great thing, right? So one thing that we all, all of us as VMware admin have to understand is that stability is the goal of VMware administration. Um, if VMware, for some reason, was failing all the time, you would not put that extra layer between the OS and the hardware. So we have to make sure that VMware, we get all the benefits from VMware, but we also get none of the possible downtimes that you know, could come from operator mistakes. However, even with people that are just doing VMware administration, you find that there's significant firefighting, there's a lack of confidence when doing, you know, quote, big changes because people are not confident. They don't have consistent, repeatable process. They don't have documentation of how they do things. There's still avoidable downtime. And the one number one thing that I don't like to see is information forwarding, where only one people in the whole organization knows about some setup and nobody else knows it. So if there's an outage, we have to wait for that guy to join the call, and you know that's probably the worst thing that, I, that that can happen to a team, because it leads to overworked admins. You know, when when you have this person who is the best at something, well, they get assigned more projects, and if they don't have the time to write it down and teach others, they just end up burning out. So we have to make stability a primary fo focus. It it just doesn't happen by accident. Uh, there's the hero numbers myth, and I don't know if, if anybody here can, in, in, in the chat and of the attendees, and thank you for being here today, if you can put what's the most uptime in days that you have had in your in your hosts, and I don't know if we can get somebody to put it in as a question or something. Let's take a look. <laughs> but I've had people, you know, at several VMUX tell me, oh, I had, you know, 600 days. Oh, I had 1,000 days. You know, oh, I had a 4.0 host or a 3.5 host that had 2,000. That's that's really bad. <laughs> you're, you're really telling me that nobody thought of patching this host, right? So we have to get away from celebrating those things, and we actually have to actually uh, think about Anybody that has more than a hundred, for example, is probably this is probably showing a symptom. It's probably showing something that is uh, that is wrong with the organization and with the administration teams. Uh, I always love, you know, showing this cartoon over here, and I'll tell you why. Because we have an opportunity for leadership. Uh, the most important influencers in the greater system administration teams are the ones that go to VMUGs, are the ones that, I, you know, come to be brown back to learn things. So when, when you see something like this, when, you know, we took the hostages, secured the building, cut the communication lines, like you said, but then this guy climbed up the ventilation ducts and walked across broken glass, killing anyone we sent to stop him. And he rescued the hostages. 
No, he ignored them. He just reconnected the cables we cut, muttering something about uptime. Oh my God, we're dealing with a sysadmin, you know, XKCD. Always, always great for, for us. But we really have to dedicate time and resources to achieving stability. Okay, so the first thing you do is you invest in good, yeah, 96 days. Well, that 96 days is not too bad. Thank you for replying there, Eric. Uh, we have to invest in good design and enterprise components, right? If we, if we want to have good uptime, we just have to have servers that are part of the HCL that are certified to run the versions that we're expecting to run. Uh, we want to make sure that whoever designed this actually knows what they're talking about. Sometimes, you know, the vendors play a lot in how things are designed. But if you have people internally that are getting their certifications, you know, that are reading the BVD or the best practices, and hopefully that even took in the VCAP course or, or maybe even are looking to get or have attained BCDX, that will ultimately affect the amount of uptime and stability in your environments because all that good design is, is avoiding downtime. When you have good design, you have an answer and you eliminate single points of failure. You, you make sure they have an answer for failure scenarios. So it, it's good to invest the time in those things. But once that is deployed, once that's sent out to the field, people and processes are more important. And the number one enemy of stability, in my opinion, is lack of bandwidth. When you don't have enough time to do the things that you have to do, even the menial or the, the things that are not as visible, then you will have increased human mistakes. And, and really, the team doesn't improve over time. If you're just in firefighting mode all the time, the team doesn't improve. Engineers need time. They, you need time to learn. You need time to think about things. And you need time to discuss with each other and maybe other people in the free community at a VMUG, etc. And we also need time to document what we have done and to do that knowledge transfer. When we have that time and when engineers fight for that time, morale goes up and employees stay put because they're learning, they like what they're doing, they're proud of their work. If you're just firefighting all the time and nobody's sharing information, people are gonna be bouncing the job. And every time somebody leaves a job, it's a really big hit to the team and to the company. So as engineers, as long as we're well taken care of, well compensated and appreciated, we like wins. And we like to really feel that we're doing a quality job. So another time when stability is at risk is when you're making changes. So you really have to plan properly. You know, we're talking about changes in the environment. Um, you know, just making a change. And that involves risk. Changes in the staff. Maybe this is the first time that the junior is going to own the whole change. Uh, the software that we're doing changes in. Yeah, it. sometimes we get bugs. Sometimes we get unintended consequences. Sometimes we didn't really realize that maybe this version of software changed things. Uh, this is a famous one when the five foot, 5.5 disabled SSL, a lot of people broke, or maybe people weren't as aware that the vCenter has to be patched before the hosts and the host would not reconnect. So you have to really understand when you have to read the release notes. And if you're, especially if you haven't patched in a good while, you have to understand, whoa, if I'm going from 6.0 GA to 6.0 update 3 C or wherever we are, that's a lot of changes. So let me take a look and read those release notes. 30 minutes of your time, 
and you will be able to identify problems before they happen, right? Changes in the architecture. Think about what happens if someone says, hey, we're, we're upgrading all domain controllers. And uh, the first question that the VMware admin is going to ask is, are we keeping the same IPs or is this you know, separate servers? Because we know that DNS is very important in our environment, and we know that DNS is hard-coded in every host and in the vCenter. So we need to understand what the dependencies to our environments are. All of this comes back to engineer bandwidth. Apart from the things that we just talked about, we also need to be prepared for outages in order for us to guarantee uptime. We need to have fast access to precise and relevant information, meaning and what I typically see is there's a share or there's a SharePoint where all the documents are there and nobody's saving somewhere else. We, all the team has agreed that the information that you need is at X place. And if you have several levels, if, for example, you're the architect and you're level three, you want to make sure that the level one actually has access to the information they need because it, it really doesn't help if the level one and level two can't access that SharePoint, right? So a lot of this cross-training involves making sure that the people who you're relying on have all they need to actually resolve. Understanding the escalation levels is also very important. You know, when, when you have an outage, apologize there, you want to understand at what point do we need to call, you know, if there's someone more experienced, the manager, the director, you know, we have to understand what our own service level to the rest of the, of the company is. And also understanding how support contracts work. work. I used to be in a, in a company where, for one particular vendor, if you were not on the list, you couldn't call in a ticket. And I remember calling my boss after I got denied, and he said, well, next time you just call in and say, you're John. <laughs> you know, there's, there's workarounds, right? But you have to understand those kind of things. Because John might be on vacation, and he may be the only one who has the support contract. So all of these things, we need to have a discussion as a team to, so that when an outage happens, we get, it gets resolved as soon as possible. And finally, it's, it's really one thing that I've, I've noted at BMUG when I ask, who, how many have you know, business continuity and, and real disaster recovery plans? You know, I'm talking about a plane fell onto your main data center. How, how fast are you going to get back? Really? So real disasters, not just, you know, we lost internet for a little while. And typically, it is not a great response. I find that as companies have more money, they have better BCDR. But all of that is also very important to have it documented. Um, if you use applications like SRM or Circle, you know, something that helps you with your site recovery, you want to understand how to initiate it. You know, you want to understand how it's tested. You want to especially understand what's covered, because at some point somebody made a business decision to cover 100% of the environment, 50% of the environment, or 10% of the environment. You know, it can be very uh, important to understand why decisions were made, and especially in a disaster when somebody says, "Why wasn't my server there?" Well, that's because, and here's the documentation, you said not to put it there, because it would it would make it more more expensive or not. Or you can basically say, these are the ones that have to be brought up first because there's no point bringing up the exchange if AD is not running. All of these things are very important to have documented. 
have you heard me talk about building teams, you know, building good teams? And that for me is some of the most important things that you can have for stability in environments. When you're hiring and when you're leading, you're looking for people that are good at communicating, people that are self-learners, but also that like to share what they learn. And maturity and good manners matter a lot. It, you can have what's called in quotes like a rock star, but if he's just somebody that nobody wants to work with, you made a bad decision. This is not the team you want. You want a team that gets together and that is able to put out the work, quality work, with, with no fuss. And you, as a leader, you want to emphasize that the team values are standard, standardization, clear processes, documentation is important. You want to make sure that work is peer-reviewed, uh, load sharing, responsible time off. And when I'm talking about responsible time off is when somebody goes on vacation, he is not the single point for anything. He has handed off anything he was doing, and he can really go on vacation because we're covered. We win as a team, not as individuals, right? So another thing that, that we have to understand is our leaders have to empower us. We have to provide direction. We have to nurture. But we don't want to have leaders that are, you know, and it happens a lot, but I also see engineers slash managers. You know, they're, they're really technical too, but they're also the manager position. So they're really under a lot of stress all the time. Hopefully you can get to the point where you're really managing the service, where you're managing the team, and you don't have to be the, the, also the technical SME. All right, so let's talk a little about the importance of documentation. Uh, another XKCD comic, uh, I lost the server passer. Can you send it to me? Hey, how do I know it's really you? Oh, good question. I bet we can construct a cool proof of identity protocol. I'll start by picking two, oh God, it's you. Here's the password. <laughs> so it's always funny because this these things really do happen. You know, I, I worked in knock centers where you have to really understand it, is that really my boss who's calling me, asking for for us to really reboot that router? Or is it, you know, am I being DOS here? Am I am I being hacked by someone? Yeah. So we really have to understand a lot of the processes internally. But I, I'm very off topic. Let's go back to company document. <laughs> Uh, one thing that, you, that I, you would be amazed at how few companies can produce this when I asked is just for an org chart. Can you show me how the IT org chart works? Can you tell me how many company locations, especially global companies, when they tell me, oh, I have you know 50 sites around the world. Great, do you have a list of those locations that includes the addresses? You know, Who's your IT contact over there? Most of the time, they don't say that they had. They, they 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 say they know where to get the information, but they don't have it, and that's pretty bad. Because if you need to send servers out to the world, that's a lot of you know emails that have to go back and forth to be able to coordinate this kind of thing. So it's important that as an IT org, we have an up-to-date repository of information. Infrastructure services is another very important one for us as VMware administrators. We want to see what's the What's the subnets? You know, what's the network information? Do I have the right gateway? Do I have the right subnets? Do I know uh, if there's these are firewall segments? AD, DNS, NTP are the most basic things that we need when we're setting up our hosts. And understanding the syslog architecture as well. Um, I've seen companies that have NTP 
regionally. So depending on where you build your host, NTP is different, uh, you know, lower latency. I've seen companies that do all of the syslog in one central location. You know, we're not here to, to, to talk about that design right now, but we have to have a good idea of how these things are set up because they're critical to us. And one thing that, especially when you come in into a new company, you want to understand as a new employee how to ask for help. How do you submit changes? Again, the vendor relationships and name contacts, that's all different. There's all, it's also important, but it's, you know, I've seen companies that several teams all have a relationship with a vendor and it's a separate relationship. They may even be talking to peeps, different salespeople and they could be getting a better deal if they consolidate it. So there's all lots, there's whole lots of, of IT information that should be stored centrally. And it doesn't matter how big or small you are. But let's go ahead and drill down on vSphere documentation. So we've talked a lot about, and, and, and the better you get, and the more you understand about design and the technical nuances, the more you get to document about. But let's say that you started with a design. So you want to have that design somewhere. You, have, you want to understand what, why was this built this way? Why did we choose ISCASI or why did we choose NFS or why did we choose this or that? If you have hardening instructions, you know, VMware puts out a, a, a big hardening guide, but everybody normally grabs a little bit of this and that. Where is that customized document? Um, when you create or if you have internal, um, when you have internal reviews, like for example, somebody uses Nessus or something else to scan hosts, and maybe they found vulnerabilities, well, this document has to be updated, you know, and we have to keep a log of every change on that document if we ever want to get audited on those settings. Uh, patching is, uh, it sounds easy just because VOM is kind of easy to use, but when a patch was released, when a host was patched, and the log about it is something that certain auditors require for you to pass some certifications. So other things, security standards, all of these things, they grow and change with time. And any project tracking that you have, all of these are just a sample of what could count as vSphere documentation, things that the VMware administration team is in charge of and is expected to be able to produce. And I'm pretty sure you're, you're already thinking of other things that could be created. Hello, Valdesir. All right. And here's, here's a conversation I love having. Doesn't cloud change this? For me, in my opinion, as long as you own uptime, as long as somebody in the company says, Ariel is the guy that when this fails, you know, this cannot fail because Ariel is own, it owns this, then your job includes documentation because Ariel wants to take vacations because Ariel will want at some point to move to something else and he has to give this job to somebody else that is willing to take it. So what to document may change as some people go to more cloud native uh, infrastructures, but somebody will still own documenting how things work. So there is no cloud, it's just someone else's computer. Very famous sticker. Okay, now let's get into the good stuff. You know, I, I always, Whenever I give this presentation, I feel like I'm just 
you know, behind the pulpit and, and telling people, document, document. But honestly, what we want to get at is how can we make documentation easier? Just because, you know, we, we, we know we have to create it, but we probably want to create it in the most, in the easiest way. Sorry. So, yes, everything, almost everything about documentation can be scripted. Um, you can create some reports that are not even available in vCenter thanks to things like PowerCLI. Um, one last thing in this slide is that if you want to learn a new language, if you want to learn how to talk, how to use an SDK, how to talk to an API, one of the safest things you can do is start using that language to create documentation. Think about it. You normally read need only read-only access and you cannot cause an outage from just getting information. So if you want to get better at Ansible, if you want to get better at other things that maybe you use the RESTful API or the Python SDK, creating documentation is an excellent way to do that. So there are several free projects out there that create, uh, that basically do some of the same things that we're going to see today. Uh, VCheck has been around for years. I think Alan Renouf was the one that started. He open sourced it. I used to use it especially to see who created a snapshot, how long had that snapshot been there. And I loved it because I could just forward that email to that person and tell them, hey, I see this snapshot that's taking you know, three days and we have a policy that snapshots can only take one day. What's going on? So that's it's meant to be sent as a daily report. It's meant to be sent daily to your inbox. But even if you run it just once in a while, it's a great it's a it's a great project and it gets updated all the time. We have taken a lot from the VCheck code into V documentation. RV Tools is a very complete .NET application. Uh, Rob Devage, um, I don't know if I butcher his name, also been around for a long, long time. The only thing that might not be great is that it might be more difficult to run it in Linux or Mac. Uh, but I think that .NET is now, you know, PowerShell is being capable of running almost anywhere now, so maybe he will release a, a compatible version. Otherwise, you might need Windows. A lot of people have told me that video documentation really looks like RV tools. So we didn't really use RV tools a lot. Uh, probably we had used it, we wouldn't have created video documentation. But I've, bit, I've been told by a lot of people that they love it and they find it very complete. There's a couple other... Uh, projects, uh, the vCenter documentation script uh, by Jack Rutsky. I think you can find it if you just uh, select, uh, if you search for that. And very new, and this came out and last VMworld, is called the AsBuilt report. Uh, that is the, the session number and the title, if you want to take a look at it. The one thing that I love about the AsBuilt report, first it actually creates a document, like you can actually print this and give it to your boss. Whereas V documentation is more about getting the, the data into Excel. And second, it's it's meant to be modular. So if you want to document Veeam or you want to document Pure or, or some other vendor who has provided you know a PowerShell SDK, you can do this with you, you can you can plug that in into the AsBuild report. So you can document more than just VMware. So that's a pretty cool thing. And I encourage everybody to check each one of these projects. All right, so let's talk about PowerCLI and the V community. I hinted at this when we said that we used a lot of code from other people. 
um, you know, not because of the famous Cathedral of Bazaar quote that's in the screen, but because we, that's how basically the V community is. So let's talk about a little bit about that. You know, let's talk about PowerCLI. It's based on PowerShell. It's very easy to install and pick up. Uh, PowerCLI core is available for Mac and Linux. It keeps getting improved and expanded. You have vSync commandlets, uh, SRN commandlets, Horizon, PowerNSX. Great adoption by the V community. It, to, to my, in my mind, it is still the Cadillac of how to talk to vCenter. Like, <clears throat> if you can't do it with PowerCLI, you might be able to do it with maybe the Python and the old API, but most of the time, this is really what what uh, everything else is judged against. Now, vCommunity, all of the people that are out there, they make PowerCLI very easy. You know, what I call the greats, Alan, Luke Deccans, William Lamb, Ryan Graff, Kyle Ruddy, Chris Wall, many, many more, who have put a lot of their code out there. I, I still remember David Stamen, I used one of his... Uh, PowerCLI codes when I was working, you know, three years ago. Lots and lots of people are willing to share what they have done, what they have found that nobody else had done in a blog post or put it in the VMware communities in the PowerCLI blog uh, or the PowerCLI forum. So that's what makes the V community great. There's also the VMware code uh, initiative, which has a Slack. And, there's, and that's like you can get real-time feedback from people when you're having any problems, trying to get something working. They might just tell you, you know, you're doing this wrong, or they might point you to the right place, but it's very interactive. And it's that spirit of sharing and building from each other where, where hoarding information really gets us nowhere. When we, when we share, we actually, you know, there was, there's a saying that when we teach to learn, because we may get feedback and realize that we didn't understand something 100% or that it could be improved. So that's what the V community is all about. So the V documentation scripts are PowerCLI commands to create vSphere documentation. And when we presented this in VMworld, we had a host inventory uh, script that gave you hardware and configuration details, IO devices, anything that basically has IO such as NICs or HVAs networking, and storage. It was, from the get-go, it was meant to be a community project. You can find, uh, you can search for documentation in Google and we'll bring you, bring you to our GitHub page. Uh, we use the hashtag documentation on Twitter. <clears throat> it's part of a larger effort. I, I mean, at some point, I would really like to provide everything I've talked about as free documentation templates, but I haven't had the time to really do that. But it's meant to be a vCommunity resource to create vSphere environment documentation easily. Uh, it's supposed to be, so our design goals, Edgar and I, it was supposed to be beginner friendly. We were going to focus, and we focus on ease of use, um, simple installation, simple defaults. Uh, we chose to output to Excel. You can also do CSV, but we chose to output to Excel so that we can really sort, sort and filter the data that we got back. And that's a lot of how I used to work manually. I would create a, something for my boss, and he would grab that, and he would filter out what he needed, et cetera, et cetera. So that's basically what, what we created. Uh, you know, it's, it's meant to also be something that other people take advantage of and, and are able to give feedback to us. 
and that is uh, something that we have actually been able to achieve. I'll talk a little bit more in a little bit. All right, so I'm going to bring us over to the to the GitHub page for V documentation. Pretty sure you can see it, right? Yep, we can see it. And I'm just going to take a real quick uh, pause here. I see we've mm -hmm. had a few people join us since the uh, start of the broadcast. Any questions can be dropped in the uh, the questions panel, the uh, the chat box, or hit us up on Twitter, hashtag vbrownbag. Nice. Thank you. All right. So this, when you search up the documentation on Google, it'll basically bring you here. And... When you look at the README, it says, you know, this is a community-created set of parcelized scripts. Uh, you can see the recording to the original session. If you're seeing this recording, it's very, very similar. You don't need to see it again. But the slides are here as the mind map. I provide some quick instruction. If you already installed it, here's how you upgrade it. But if you haven't, then here's the selection instructions. Now. Basically, what I'm here showing here is the first-time usage on a brand-new machine with PowerShell 5.x or newer and an open internet connection. PowerShell 5.x typically means that you're running maybe Windows 10. Uh, if you're running Windows 7 or 8, you probably had to upgrade uh, .NET and some other things to be able to get to PowerShell 5. Um, I think they're, we're up to PowerShell 6 now. But anyways, if this is the first time, Windows 10 new machine, you want to set the execution policy. Uh, I believe that there was some other command that you have to put now that they change some behavior. Uh, I think that they include, and I don't have it right now, but you know what? Let's go ahead and, and bring up a PowerShell over here and just keep it around, right? So first of all, I think I may have it installed here. So let's take a look. If I have it installed, do you want to uninstall it? Yes, I have an older version here. So let's go ahead and uninstall that. And maybe make this so that we can see both things at the same time. So we're going to be doing a lot of this just as if I was teaching you and we were just on my desk at work, right? So I expect some things to fail here and there, but I'll try, I'll try to make it the best I can. Mm -hmm. And we also have, I'm gonna also uninstall VMware PowerCLI and import Excel. So basically in the, in the installation structures, we have three modules to install. And one thing you have to understand if you've been using PowerCLI for a while is that we used to release, or VMware used to release PowerCLI as an installable MSI that you download off the VMware site, but that's not the case anymore. Now what we do, we tell people is go ahead and install it from the uh, Windows PowerShell gallery directly. So, actually I can probably just go like this, and instead of the documentation, See what version of PowerCLI I'm running. Uh-huh, I had 10.1, so let's go ahead and install that. And then we'll do the same for import Excel so that we can actually do it uh, without having anything installed, right? 
So I see a question that can this run in Mac OS? If you run the, uh, if you install PowerCLI on Mac OS, you should be able to run it as well. Now, I haven't tried it. I don't have a Mac, so you will have to let me know how it goes. But if you can, uh, yeah, I have import Excel, so let me go ahead and remove that. So if you have Mac today, you want to find out exactly what the command is to install PowerShell. But once you have PowerShell running, you should be able to just do this, these same commands, install module, PowerCLI, install module, import Excel, install module, re-documentation. Now notice I'm not running as an administrator here. If you do run as administrator, you don't need the scope current user. Okay. So at this moment, if I do a Show me video documentation, nothing shows up. If I do a show me PowerCLI, nothing shows up. If I do import Excel, nothing shows up. So I'm gonna go ahead and install PowerCLI first. And this will take a while, but if you've seen this before, you get a little uh, transmission over the internet as it goes out to Microsoft servers and grabs it from there. And you can literally grab this and find it in the PowerShell gallery. So you can see that, that we've taken the time, or Edgar has taken the time, to make sure the V documentation has been accepted in the PowerShell gallery. I wonder why it says current version 2.4. Maybe I can click on this and it takes me to another one. Yeah, there it is. Okay. So you see here on the right, PowerShell itself is downloaded VMware.PowerCLI. Again, you do need an internet connection for this. If not, uh, I do provide some links in the readme at the end, how you can, basically what Kyle Ruddy said, hey, if you don't have internet, here's the way that you install it. But I just want you to see how, how easy it is. And if you want to follow along as you are uh, waiting on this to complete, at home, especially Valdis here that was asking about Mac OS, you know, Google around, see if you can do this, and then let us know at the end if you were able to get it running as well. And normally when I do this at a VMUG, I'm doing it from a hotspot on my phone, so this is actually quicker. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> excuse me, while we're waiting uh, on this as well, we've had a couple of uh, Tweets come in in regards to your question about days running um, on your hosts. Most around 90, two hosts at 270. Um, and we've got another one that says, it could be 2,000 days, but I've got to check. Whoa. <laughs> Let's see. Tweet back. Yeah, I wonder if we start like a if we start like a little thread to somebody send some screenshots. If we get someone with more than a thousand days, let's see. This might be Brian Mac tweet that. Ah ha ha! I love it. A poll. 
<laughs> we've got a uh, Graham asking if uh, he should screenshot his live five five servers uptime. I say yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, we want to know. All right, this seems to be finishing, and uh, we'll compare. Like I was running ten point one, it will probably be newer than that because I haven't done updated this in a while. Uh, Graham Mitchell says there's also Carl Webster's one. Let's go take a look at that one. Center documentation script. Oh, I, I think I have seen this one. Let's see. I think this is one that creates a a Word document. Yeah. Yeah, I did see this one a while ago. I haven't seen it since. But yeah, of course, we want to highlight somebody else. It's not required. Nice. So it will create a Word document, but it does not require Word to be installed. This is excellent. I actually, I can't remember what was his name. Let me find out. It was uh, Tony from South FLV Mug. Yeah, V Diagram. So V Diagram creates Visio diagrams off of, and you only need like, if you download a zip, it, it only needs like this two, these two files, the PS1 and, and, the, and the VSS. And he actually, I don't know if he has like an example. You do need Visio installed, but it will create Visio diagrams. That's pretty cool. All right, so going back to this one, let's take a look at of PowerCLI version there. Oh, we, so we're here running PowerCLI 11 now. And uh, we're just going to go in and head and install. That was the big one. We're going to go ahead with Import Excel. Now, Import Excel, the only reason that, that we installed this, this uh, module is because it allows us to create Excel files uh, without having Excel installed. Otherwise, we can only output to CSV. This should be a quick one. And then finally, the documentation. And while we look at this, I'm going to show you a little about uh, the environment that I have. So I have some 6-gen nooks. Actually, this one should be here. Probably don't have it set up yet. And uh, I have a shuttle. I may be able to add some other hosts that I have. I'm pretty sure they're running. That one finish. So all of them are named after whoever sold them to me, except the show. That was uh, Mike Martino. And we have some machines here. But basically, we have some nooks. Let me see if I can add. Oh, 
were those called? I'm pretty sure they were. Yeah, Tim Smith. Tim Smith called one. Let's see. Root VMware one bang. That's how I never forget what my yeah, so these are super <laughs> micro server. Oops, I don't want to show my license. And let's go ahead and add the other one of these. Let me bring this a little bit down so my license will show even less. So Graham says he's on. His hosts are up between 327 and 220 days. Come on, man. And Tim says, Carl scripts require Word installed if you want Word output. Not required for HTML or text output. Cool. Yeah. So, did this finish? It did finish. I had clicked on it. Okay, so finally, video documentation. And this should be the end, the, the last of, of this prep work. But you're basically seeing how you can install the scripts. OK. So once you actually have it installed, originally, when we presented this in BMO 2017, it was only four. But now we have eight. So we have the original four. But we also, Edgar, again, who Edgar works in a PCI environment, so he's very aware of security and audits, um, he created one called get ESXi patching, ESX patching, and that will basically give you all of the patch time and even what KBs each patch is related to. Uh, we actually had, and I have it in the changelog, I'll show it in a little bit, but uh, Graham, virtual, I think it was virtual G, let me find it real quick, virtual G UK. So Graham Barker, and he doesn't have his picture right there, but he's a really nice guy. He actually, let's see if we can find a picture from him with a selfie. Close, close, but not cigar. <laughs> he doesn't like taking selfies, I guess. But I'm pretty sure I've seen it, I've seen it in pictures, and um, he was very very nice, and he basically reached out and said, "Hey, I really like what you guys are doing. Um, guess what? I can do this. I could do this for VSAN. I have some code. Can can I add it to your project?" So he donated pro, uh, code for get VSAN info, and he even gave us some um, some improvements later on. So pretty cool. We've got a we got a question real quick. Uh, sure. So Charles wants to know how does it handle hosts that are powered down? Does it require everything to be powered on in order to query, or does it just query vCenter? So that's a good question, right? And uh, I think I I just want to say if it's disconnected, let me think, because it does a power CLI query. What happens? I think it would fail. I honestly think it would. Because what the vCenter is going to do is going to, he's going to try to get the information in real time. 
So if I were to power down something here, then we can do it. We can find out. Let's say I power down AJ Kuftik. No, I want to power down AJ Kuftik. Let's do step one. And I and I just don't want to power it down because it's the top one in a in the stack. I have we have to move everything else. <laughs> so let me just go ahead and uh, power this by boy. Oh, it's smart enough to detect the space. Okay. So we're going to find out if if when we run the commands, if something fails, right? I think it is going to fail, Charles. All right. And apart from these two new ones, we also had uh, Edgar it was doing a lot of remediation work for Spectre and Meltdown. And he was trying to verify it through PowerCLI. So he made a couple more um, modules basically just for that. So how do we use this, right? And here's a change log. This is interesting if you've been using it for a while, but otherwise not very interesting if you know, this is the first time you're using it. What you want to find out is exactly how it works. So here's the basic command switch options. And let me just, I have a little cat here that's hungry, and I'm just going to push him out and give him a kick. There we go. Now, I'm going to mute myself for just a second, guys, and see if his mom will feed him. One sec. <laughs> All right, I am now unmuted. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. There was a lot of swearing in Spanish in this house just 10 seconds ago. <laughs> All right, if you run the command without switches, um, it will output to PowerShell only, and it would include all data tabs. So what we want to do right now is grab one of those commands, and uh, there's some way to show, let me see. If I run just the documentation or get ESX info, I don't know if that's the right one. Hold on, let me bring, bring back to the to the list. No, get ESX inventory. I do that right. Well, probably the first thing we should do is connect to our vCenter. So I think my vCenter is 192. Oh, I did see the, the question about dynamic power management. It's not disconnected, but just powered off. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna find out. So let's see. Let's consider other this. Okay, administrator at vSphere.local, VMware one bang. We can just copy those. 
So if you want to only see one tab, you can specify it. But things that we're typically going to do are tell it if we are only interested in an ESXi, in a cluster or a data center, where do we want it to be, where do we want the, out, the files to be put, and if we want to do CSV or Excel. This is taking a while. There we are. Sorry, I pressed it. So let's try that again. And just so you're aware, we are, uh, we're, we've got about 10 minutes left in our uh, schedule time here. Right. It's, it most likely won't be, it'll be, it'll go over that for sure. Okay. Yeah. I wonder what I was doing wrong, but there it is. Get it a sexy inventory. Oh, it's still failing. Okay. Bless you. Wonder why. Do I not have the documentation installed? I'm pretty sure I installed it. There it is. All right, well, it might be that I just have to tell it, get ESX inventory and then tell it, uh, give me a data center, for example. What I wanted to, oh, I remember, now I remember. I am sorry. I'm trying to get to the get help for get ESX inventory. All right. I was just trying to type it and press enter and see if I got the help. So basically this is what you get. Each one of the commands has uh, its help in here. Uh, if you do more of these, for example, you can get examples, you can get a detailed so each one of these commands will show you things. So what we want to do here is do a get ESX inventory data center and uh, folder path. Let's say that we're going to put these in. Let's yeah. Let's say that we're going to put this in. and C, BBB, and let's also tell that I want it as an Excel file. Mission and argument for private data center. Do I really have to tell you? So, B Pittsburgh. Now, we just changed this behavior it used to be you just you just had to put get ESX inventory and it would immediately assume data center. Uh, but the last time that we did a release, we kind of broke it, and it's right here. We've got a usability change that wasn't pregnant. Change logs, all command lists use parameters, and there is not a default one now. So you really need to specify host or cluster or data center. So. As soon as, by the time that you see this video, there might be a new version. Basically, uh, doesn't need that data center anymore. All right, well, we're seeing here that I'm telling it, go find everything in data center, be Pittsburgh, save it into, into my vBrownback folder that I put in my C drive. And it says, okay, I connected to be Pittsburgh, and I'm getting now information from hosts. 
So the first one that I picked up was AJ Kovtik. And we will see it go through each one of them to get information. Now, the file itself won't be there until it finishes. So don't be too worried if you don't find anything until the script finishes. And just for the sake of speed, I am going to open another PowerShell. I am going to also bring it up here. And I am going to do a separate connection to my vCenter. And basically be able to run more commands at the same time. So we saw that it went to another host. I am almost sure that when it reaches the strum, we'll just get some errors, but we'll find out. Okay. Administrator at vSphere.local VMware Bank. Now let's see some other questions. Yeah, Valdisri is having fun with with my wife yelling it back at me. <laughs> my wife is amazing. I would I would never say anything bad about it. All right, so we're gonna grab another one of these commands. Uh, let's try the ESX IO device. So get and here I'm just completing with tab and I'm going to copy the same thing. Or maybe not. Maybe I'll instead of doing the data center. Maybe I can just do the this cluster, right? <clears throat> Am I in the right one? Nope, I won't. Okay, here it is. So I copied this, but I'm going to do cluster. Six again. So we can see that it's, oh, uh -huh. so here's what we had, what I had talked about, uh, Charles. No, this is a different error. So one thing that we're trying to do, specify the use basic parsing parameter and try again. So one thing that we're trying to do now is that we're trying to get that VMware HCL URL as part of the get ESXIO device command. So when we see a device, we will automatically give you the URL to find that in the VMware HCL site. Now, I don't know if this error was because Strum 1 is off, because I see that it is getting information for Strum 2. Or if it's just a general error that it will not be able to do Internet Explorer because the error I see right here. Okay. So yeah, we got we got a host here that says not responding, so it will, was not able to do that. So let's take a look at this file in the meantime. And let's see where it comes up first. All right. So yeah, if the host is off then you will not get the information. 
even if it's DPN. And what we're seeing here is some controllers and an Ethernet connector. We're seeing the PCI address in the server itself, or the NUC in this case. But we're seeing these very important four identifiers. Uh, we have a firmware version for our VMNIC, and we have driver versions, which driver and which viv. And this is what I was talking about, that once we get those four identifiers, we can go ahead and find this device on the VMware HCL. If it exists, of course. So you can see here that we populated these things. And uh, in this case, it's a NUC, so it probably doesn't show any I.O. devices. But let's go ahead and run that again and run it basically against the data center. So we also get some of those uh, super micro ones. And those may actually show some more meaningful data than NUCs. So data center, the Pittsburgh. All right. This one, this one did finish. All right, so we also got our inventory file here, and that one did see all of our data center. So we get to see some information, and sorry, this machine doesn't have a, an active office. So we can see the management IP. Uh, if these servers actually had uh, CIM enabled, you can also get the DRAC or ILO on the servers. You can find the product version, builds, the makes, uh, serial number if they had them, BIOS versions. In this case, you can actually tell that my BIOS versions for my nuts are different. And CPU count, memory. In some servers, we can actually tell even how many memory slots are used and power supplies. How many NICs total. And this is probably one of the most the ones that I like the most, the host configuration. It tells me hyper-threading is enabled. It tells me the maximum EVC mode. It tells me if it was installed locally. In this case, we can see that everything was installed to USBs. It tells me the image, acceptance level, uptime, when was it installed, when was it last patched, my license, oh, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> At least they're only going to be valid for like a month anymore. If it was joined to a cluster, um, if NTP is running, what the NTP server is, and the SSH settings, as well as any syslog servers. So there's a lot of information that you can tell about an environment just by looking at this second tab. You can tell that if a person is, if they have, if they're patching to the same levels, if you can look at the updates, you can look at the acceptance levels, you can look at the uh, NTP and syslog settings. You can also tell, you know, especially when you, when you look at this three, because one thing that I did not mention is that you can run these commands to several vCenters at the same time. So you can run this command. If you have five vCenters in your environment, you can get one Excel file that has information of the five vCenters. So that's pretty neat. All right, let me close this one. 
that other one should still be running. And let's go ahead and try some other ones. What's it up there? Yeah. So let's take a look at the networking. That'll take a while. But basically, these are the things, all of that information that I just showed you in the inventory, it's not easy to see in the in any of the of the uh, UIs that VMware offers us, whether it's the HTML5 or the Flex or the C Sharp client. It's kind of difficult to get all of that information in that type of form. So that's the main value, I think, of, of the documentation, being able to show you things in your environment and being able to quickly figure out if you have different settings in different places. Right, that will take a little while. What else can we take a look at? Let's go, keep going down here, and I'll show you some other things. So yeah, if you run it with show window, it's actually much, much more readable. I'll just do one real quick. Let's say I do let's say I do this one maybe. Da, 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 da. So get help. Then you have that one and you do Show window. So you get it in this format, and you can even zoom in or zoom out. So Edgar has spent a lot of time trying to make sure that all of these things are filled out. So if you have a question, normally if you look at the documentation, you can probably figure it out. Okay. Here's some example outputs from other people. Uh, this was in R730. Uh, you can see that the memory slot counts did work there. <clears throat> Here's a, an example of a, of a real NIC, of an of a actual server i350. And the one that we're running right now is the networking, so you'll be able to see the virtual switch configuration, whether it's a standard or a distributed switch, and also the VM kernel adapter and physical adapter. One thing I don't have, but it's really cool, is that you can see the CDP information if you're connected to a Cisco device. So pretty cool to be able to get a listing, even though CDP information is sometimes not exactly reliable, but to be able to know which IP address or what switch is connected to and which port it's connected to. Storage adapters and data stores. Uh, one of the things that I find most useful in this one is it verifying the multipath policy. Uh, multipathing policy is something that you still have to set up per host. So whenever you add a data store, you need to go and modify each host. So it helps you find out real quickly if there was anything wrong. And we're also, we used to have iSCSI in production. We also have information on the iSCSI configuration. 
So we can show you the vSearch MTU and uh, the program names. And, and we can also tell you, which is very important for iSCSI, let's see where it is, if it's really doing port binding. So all the MTUs, all the information that you normally have to click through several screens to see for to make sure iSCSI is set up correctly, you can get it in one script. You can see that uh, this one has VMK1, and this, has, this one has VMK2, so. Graham asked if, uh, if it does, sh does it show LLDP as well? You know, we haven't had someone that tells us. Uh, now, if this is, if, we, if there's a PowerShell command, if there's a PowerShell command for it, then we can do it. The only problem is I don't have anybody that has actually told me, hey, I ran this and, and this is what I found. So if you were to have, you know, HP switches or, or some other vendor that has LLDP and you want to work with us, we can definitely make that happen. Uh, but so far, most people that I know are running Cisco, so that's what we put in there. Again, this is completely editable to whatever we need. Okay, so we got a couple here. I want to open up the networking first. Okay, and now we have, sorry about that again. Now we have a lot more information. We actually have some slot information from the shuttle. Um, we see that there's some things that are connected and some things that are not MTUs. It's being used by a switch right now. When you look at VM kernel adapters, we can tell that everything's in the default TCP IP stack. Oh, look at that. We have quite different DNS settings in one of my servers over here. So I actually probably fixed that. Uh, I actually have a standby adapter in one of my machines here. So you can take a look at that really quickly. And finally, what's the uplinks? What's the connected adapters? What's any port groups? And if you have had dealt with people changing the promiscuous mode and stuff, you know how difficult it can be to maintain all those things. So here's a, a place to see them all at the same time. So what you get here with these with these projects is a lot of information dumped into a a place that is easily consumable. So this is just the I/O device once we ran it against the data center, and we can tell that we have way much more things now. Um, I think that this one is an actual thing that will show up in the HCL because that's that's a server board. So maybe we'll get some information about it here. But I just just wanted to highlight that that work in making sure that you can just click on this and go. Oh, look at that! You can just go click on it and it should open what you're looking for. You know, maybe this one. Let's try this one. Because that's a pretty popular controller. Yeah, there you are. So this is a really an LSI card. And you can see that thanks to those identifiers that we're, we're basically just creating this URL. Then you can go and click on it and start looking at the compatibility depending on the SXI versions. So that was something that somebody suggested uh, in GitHub, and Edgar was able to add it. And we're really happy when somebody suggests something, right? 
All right, I think you have an idea of how this is installed, how it's operated, where you can find information. Uh, I'm going to go back to our presentation just for a little bit. I only have some last slides there, and then we'll be done. Okay. So why is all of this information important, right? It's, it's really a lot of detailed, small settings, but the hypervisor is really the underlying base for a lot of the VMware cloud, right? So in the VMware ecosystem, you want to make sure that your HCL is, you know, that you're, you're complying with the HCL before you start talking about adding the vSIM components or NSX components or VRA or Horizon. You know, with a, with a good base in your base vSphere, you will have much less problems when you start using other more complex solutions. And uh, when you invest this time in checking these settings, it actually, it will, it will be returning stability. Another thing that, that I've, I've discussed with people is that skills and documentation and scripting, they age very well. The technology may change in five years, but the habits of creating documentation or scripting documentation, those will probably remain the same. So that's something that we really like people to get more familiar with. Again, so V-documentation makes uh, operations easier. You can quickly assess the state of an environment with these uh, Excel sheets. Uh, you know, we talked about how you can get the CDP core information, so you don't need to go and find, hey, what, what, what switchboard is disconnected to, right? Uh, you, if you need to confirm a whole serial number, you can get it right there. Uh, Edgar was working on a, a module that basically tells you about the password histories. Uh, one thing that I, we experienced personally was that when we opened the ticket, they told us that we were running unsupported driver and firmware uh, combinations. And this was just you know running off the Dell CD. And we didn't know that the vendor might not provide you exactly what the HCL says. So this is a good way to check real quickly if you're running the same driver and firmware for the same card across servers. So work smarter, not harder. So the documentation was created to help the community. Uh, it needs more eyes, coders, and users to improve. But we want to have that new hire that when he has the documentation and he was laughed at, that somebody just says, oh, we use the video documentation scripts, and the guy will say, oh, great, I can start with that. You know, it might not be the best documentation out there, that we know that we are one of many, but it's definitely a start. So some extra links. Uh, this would be the HCL, where you can use those four PCI identifiers. And this is a blog post from Edgar on how he checks for Spectre and Meltdown using uh, video documentation. Uh, it's a it's a complex, you know, it's, if, you, if you take a look at it real quick, it's a very, very large blog post, and it's, you know, it's dense material, but if you want to really understand things, go ahead and take a read. Maybe you'll, you will not agree on how you do think he does things. You know, Edgar is his own person. I, I'm not vouching for him, but I really think that he's a really smart dude. So if you find something that he did wrong, have a discussion. That's why we have Twitter. All right. And finally, I will encourage everybody that is here today to join VMware Code, mostly because we have, let me show you real quick. 
we have a V documentation channel, and uh, it's really active. You know, we have several people out there that are trying our, our thing, that let us know when we made something wrong, let us know when we, hey, you know, we, maybe we can improve this. So a lot of the things that we saw, saw today was because, thanks to Michael White, that he's been trying uh, the documentation for a while now. He let us know, hey, I, I found an error. So we will fix them as, as time comes. But I think that's it. Uh, let me basically close this out, and I will bring up the, the interface for questions and maybe talk to you a little bit before we sign off. Yeah, I'm not seeing any questions uh, on Twitter. Um, we did get one more reply to the poll. Uh, I was around 960 days, if I recall Ooh. correctly. So much for patching. <laughs> <laughs> looks like uh, all of our questions, or we don't have any new questions uh, in the box either. Cool. All right, well, I'll take a look at Twitter in a little bit if anybody has any questions. I really appreciate uh, everybody here being here today, especially because this was, was something, you know, that that's basically my and Edgar's pet project. But I really appreciate you staying around and, you know, having this conversation with me. And take a look at the, uh, at the project. Again, it's just with the documentation in Google and... The first link will be our GitHub page or my GitHub page. We'll probably move it to its own project page so it's not tied to me. And, uh, you know, random, let us know what you think. Excellent. Um, we've just got a couple of compliments. Um, but I, I think, uh, unless we have any more questions, I think we're good to uh, call it a night here. Sounds good. Thank you so much for hosting me, Paul. And thank you, everyone that was here. Excellent. Thank you for stepping up to uh, present this week.